in brightest day, in blackest night, all other podcasts tremble in fright. I'm Chad Bogleman. I'm Mark Marble. And this is the Lantern Cast. Episode 359. That's right. We are talking about Marvel's Endgame. Uh, that is Avengers Endgame, which is the 21st? Second, I or- think. Oh, yeah. Okay. I was counting them on my shelf earlier. I was like, wait a sec. I was, it was supposed to be 22nd. Why do I only have 20, 20, 20 on my shelf? Oh, yeah. Captain Marvel's not out on Blu-ray yet. Uh, that makes sense. Um, God, they just announced today like the, the box complete set. box set. Yes. And I was just like, eh, whatever. Who cares? I've got it's – like, it's one thing to have the box set. It's another to have the trades. You know, it's like as a comic book fan, you have the trades – as you've been picking them up and following the series, it kind of proves you've been following the series. Whereas people going to buy the omnibus later are picking up on it after the fact. So the box set is the equivalent of the people who missed out on all their other stuff and are coming into the tail end and picking up the omnibus. The individuals are the trade paperbacks that we're getting along the way. <laughs> we're following from the very beginning. <laughs> <laughs> that's one of those sets. I mean, the box set. That's one of those things. If that's somewhere down the road, like during uh, you know your Black Friday sales on Amazon or your or Cyber Monday deals, that is or gold deal of the day. If you get one of those down the road, where maybe it's you know it comes down to maybe like a hundred bucks or something, then then yeah. maybe then maybe I would do it only because at the end of the day, from a Blu-ray perspective, there are a bunch of. Marvel movies that I don't have. I don't have all that many. I have all the Caps. I have uh, the first two Thors. I actually don't have any Iron Man on Blu-ray because I had that. I had the DVD of the original and I never upgraded. So I have and all the Avengers. I have all the. I have all the Avengers, Spider-Man: Homecoming. I got a few. So I, I got dribs and drabs. So. If, if the price was right, considering that there, there's a chunk of these movies that I do not own, I probably would do it just just to have the just to have it complete. But it's not any, it's not anything I'm I'm losing sleep over. But considering looking at this list of all these of the 22 movies that have been released, uh, let's see, Infinity well, Infinity War, The Avengers, Age of Ultron have those. That's three. Civil War is four. Homecoming is five. Ragnarok. I don't have Ragnarok. Uh, Winter Soldier is six. Dark World is seven. Thor is eight, and First Avenger is nine. And I have Incredible Hulk on DVD, but not Blu-ray. So of the 22 movies that have been released, and obviously only only 20 really have been are available on, on video yet. That yeah, I only I only own nine Blu-ray. So if the price was right, it's hard to say that it wouldn't be worth pulling the trigger on. Yeah, and I've already got all the movies, plus I've got all the seasons of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. on Blu-ray. I still need to get uh, uh, Agent Carter seasons one and two on Blu-ray. I'm debating if at some point I should or should not pick up the Netflix series on Blu-ray, because 
they're they're tied into the MCU in like the most basic of ways. So like I'm not really sure if they really count. Um, we'll, we'll get into how like Agent Carter and stuff uh, in particular will tie in yes, to the MCU, Agent- especially with this last, especially <laughs> yes. with this last movie. Agent Carter is more relevant now from on multiple levels. Um, but uh, before we do, we wanted to get into some uh, feedback that we've had kind of sitting off to the side, and uh, we we apologize for not getting to it sooner, Jesse, because we actually, you know, we always have, are asking about uh, content and feedback, but we wanted to get it out of the way now, and by say getting out of the way, I mean, <laughs> bef- we'd rather we'd rather do it now than have you folks wait for an entire conversation about Endgame to, uh, <laughs> to hear us actually respond to one of our listeners. So we've got a voicemail from Jesse uh, from uh, April 4th. Uh, and we're going to go ahead and uh, play that bad boy now. So let me get that started, and here we go. Hey, guys, it's Jesse from South Carolina. Um, really backed up on my uh, podcast listening. I just listened to episode 338, so I don't have any comments on your recent episodes. But uh just wanted to call, give you guys my thoughts on Morrison's run on Green Lantern since it just finished episode number six. Uh, In my mind, it started off a little bit rocky, but it's gotten really, really good lately. Um, It's got a real mix of Silver Age and Bronze Age feel to it to me. Still a little uh, dismayed because he seemed to have ignored ignored Venditti's run and maybe even a lot of Jeff Johns' run and just went back to Silver Age stuff for his background, but it is neat to see some Silver Age uh, stuff in the in the book. Um, keep up the good work, guys. Just wanted to give you a little voicemail, give you my thoughts on uh, the Green Lantern as it exists right now. Because uh, of money, I've had to cut back on, on my books, and that's actually... The only book I'm buying right now, I'm not reading Justice League Odyssey or uh, Heroes in Crisis or anything else, or uh, Doomsday Clock or anything else where the Lanterns have been showing up. But um, like I said, keep up the good work on the podcast, and then I just want to say hi. Now I'm going to say bye. Bye. (laughs) (laughs) Good job, Jesse. And as for not reading the other stuff like... um Doomsday Clock, nobody is. <laughs> because they physically can't. <laughs> I was just going to say that. You, you, can't, you can't because every single issue gets delayed like two months. So what are we, What issue is actually supposed to come out next? Is that 10? Uh, I don't give a fuck anymore. I'm, I'm sorry, guys. Like, I mean, this is the most delayed book. Like, uh, maybe, maybe not like historically speaking, but it feels like the most delayed book DC Comics has put out in recent memory. And the last time I remember a DC Comics book being so delayed were twofold. One, Jeff Johns and uh, Ethan Van Skyver on Flash Rebirth. And the uh, other one was Jeff Johns and Gary Frank on that Superman Secret Origin story. Like they, I, I don't, I, and I don't think, I don't think those were this bad. And don't get me wrong, I'm going to buy the trade paperback when it comes out. Uh, but and I'm gonna read the entire story, and maybe I'll be hyped about the story itself. I, I you know, my my opinion on the content is one thing, 
My opinion on the distribution and business practices of DC is something completely different, which does not impact my thoughts on the content. So, but holy God, is this a horrible way to run a business in terms of if your job is to publish content, my God, is this schedule effed. May 29th. May 29th right now is when Doomsday Clock number 10 is supposed to come out. So that's over a month, or almost exactly a month from when we're recording this. And that's still two friggin' issues left to go. So at the end of the day, unless they really pick up the pace, which insert laughter here, the reality is this thing its going to take almost two effing years to publish 12 issues of this show, of this episode, of this title. 12 issues and and if we're lucky it'll be a hair under two years that's what a joke that is for something that was supposed to be this this big changing event and if it is my god look look how the how all these other books have been held hostage by this because some because either jeff johns you know or frank can't get their head out of their ass or both to get this book done on time it, it, yeah. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. I mean, it's just, and they both have such a track record, like we've talked about before. It's kind of hard to really know wh- where to point the finger, because because you could make, you could justifiably make a case that oh, it's probably this guy, or it's probably that. I mean, real reason. It'd be real easy to blame fr- blame Frank because it, because you like to think Jeff Johns had the stuff written at least far enough in advance to get a head start, where even if he bogged down, he wouldn't be this bogged down. And because they're so determined not to do what they end up almost always having to do in these events when they when they get too far behind is bring in other artists because they want this to have a nice flow to it like the original Watchmen. That, but I don't know. I, I'm st- I'm still not willing to just automatically say it's Frank's fault because we know Jeff Johns has done this repeatedly too on and on, on events and books. So, mm-hmm. he, but sorry, Jesse. Yeah. But but that, yeah. But you mentioned the clock, and that's where we're. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but uh, I mean, yeah, you're right. It's very '60s, and you're 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 also right that it seems to be just skewing all the stuff that came before it in terms of Jeff Johns and and uh, and uh, Robert Venditti, and that doesn't seem very fair. Um, but at the same time, that's comics. That's comics. It's also, uh, I mean, there have been times when people have picked up the ball and ran with what everybody else has established before, and it didn't work very well. And there have been times when someone went off and did their own thing and it didn't work very well. So, I mean, no matter what methodology you choose to move forward with the the new iteration, the new creative team, you're running the same risk either way. So whether he did his vision or kind of melded his vision to what had come before in terms of the most recent iteration of the series, it wouldn't really have mattered. The the people are going to make their judgment either way. So it seems like... It seems like uh, Grant Morrison just kind of went the, you know what, I'm going to do what comes best to me and what I'm passionate about, and uh, that's the best chance we've got. <laughs> so, I would agree, and I think his overall assessment, I, I can ec- echo those sentiments, the idea that it started off a little rough. I think it picked up a little steam now. Again, like we talked about, at least personally, I think it was kind of an abrupt ending to the uh, Mew and Black Star storyline, but I am interested to see what's going to happen with Hal inside his ring and seeing where that goes. Right. And then we get the Green Arrow thing coming. So I, 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 I like the book more than I thought I was going to. Like I said before, I'm still not in love with this book, and we still don't know how long Morrison's staying on this book. So I think that's kind of an X factor too. It's kind of hard to 
put a, invest a lot of emotion or a lot of interest in the book until we know he's staying at least for like two years. <laughs> if he bails out, you know, if he bails after year after twelve issues, and what the hell does it really matter? What we care about is run because it's probably going to change dramatically. Whoever comes on next is probably going to do the same thing to him. You know, similarly, I mean, they may keep the I concept because DC may want them to keep the concept for now, but it's going to not be the same because it's not Morrison. Yeah, I bought um, I bought a few pops the other day. We'll talk about all this towards the end of the, the end of the episode. But one of the at the place I bought the pops, there was a um, uh, they had. Uh, copies of previews and they because of my purchase they gave me for a free copy of, of previews and uh you know you, you you mentioned jesse you were mentioning uh, justice league odyssey i'd say there was isn't much happening there but i honestly haven't been reading enough uh, in, in terms of keeping up but it's cool because uh, in uh, the previews uh, issue that just came out for dc the justice league odyssey number 10 has been solicited and uh, it seems like it may be very Jessica heavy. Um, do you remember, uh, Mark, in when we covered the first issue, uh, you, you get the sense that um, uh, there's a prophecy surrounding these people coming to this uh, corner of the Forgotten Universe, and there's like a statue, an ancient statue of Cyborg, and, and like all that? Yes. Okay, and, and, the, and the whole team, Starfire and all that. Well, the cover is of these statues, and Jessica is front and center, bursting through one of them, uh, flying through uh, one of the statues. And the variant cover, uh, variant cover by Lucio Perillo, is a Jessica cover as well. So I'm wondering if we're about to get a ramp up in Jessica's involvement in this storyline, if 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 it hasn't already begun. Because like I said, I'm a little bit behind. Um, I would actually recommend Mark look it up. Justice League Odyssey number ten variant cover by Lucio Perillo. Uh, it's hard to say because I'm looking at this in previews, and the variant cover is always like a smaller thumbnail image. Um, but are you able to find this image because it's a, it's it looks like a really cool image of Jessica? So number ten, right? Yeah, Justice League Odyssey number ten, uh, the variant by Lucio Perillo. It's more of a. Is that the one of her face, or is that not? That, is that the, it's 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 the it's the one of her face. Uh, it's almost painted, almost photo like. Yes. I'm trying to. I see this thumbnail. I'm trying to. Oh, I'm trying to get it full scale. Um, I normally do not buy Ju- uh, Justice League Odyssey in print, um, but I may pick up number ten just to have that variant cover, depending on what it looks like, you know, in a bigger printed form. Yeah, actually, I like that cover. It's pretty cool looking. Kind of reminds me of the way they decided to do the energy for the Green Lantern movie. Yes. Um, particularly when they were doing like the prequel comics and stuff, and when they were you know doing all that sort of sort of a thing. Um, that's that's it's really cool looking. Um, but the, the between that cover and the main cover, it looks like we may, if we're not already, getting super Jessica heavy in this uh, Odyssey story. And we actually just had a tweet. Um, I responded to. Before we started recording, someone asked us if we're going to do a commentary track on the Fatal Five Justice League animated feature. Uh, I told them, you know, in response, I said it, it, anything's possible, but you don't actually physically own the movie, so uh, maybe, maybe not. But uh, they, someone asked if we're going to do a commentary track on it. You got the Blu-ray? I do. Oh, yeah, and that means I can just give you my Voodoo login. Or do you have the DVD? <laughs> Does it come with a DVD too? 
Well, it's 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 Blu-ray DVD, but it also came with a digital copy, so I could give you the login to my Vudu. You can watch the digital copy. I can watch the Blu-ray. That is that is another possibility too. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Um, yeah. Between uh, Odyssey, um, Titans. Titans is something I think we should touch on at some point with uh, Kyle Rayner stuff happening. Justice League. Yeah, we should we should probably do a catch up episode at some point for each of those series, but not necessarily an issue by issue breakdown unless something super significant happens in them. But just sort of a previously on Justice League featuring John Stewart, <laughs> you know, yeah. sort of an episode. Um, that'd be kind of cool. Uh, but I guess it's time to get into Endgame. Thanks, Jesse, for your voicemail, uh, guys. If you want to send us a voicemail. We'll have some ways to contact us at the end of the show, so stay tuned for that. Is there anything else you wanted to touch on before we got into Endgame? We'll be talking about some pops and some figures and stuff later, but... No, let's dive deep, baby. All right. Uh, We saw Endgame. I got my ticket to go see it at 8 a.m. on Friday, Uh, opening opening day, technically, uh, which was lucky, but um, I woke up and... um, yeah, drove in commuter traffic to sit in the theater for three hours. Uh, I thought it would be more of a chore than it was to sit there for a full three hours. I was worried about my Black. my uh, <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, I guess. Uh, like, oh, but, everything. But, but because it's Alamo Draft House and the way you order your food and everything is you you know kind of write down your order on a little piece of paper and kind of put it up in a little sand and they come through in the dark and pick it up. I I, I just I figured out what I was going to eat way beforehand and i just you know wrote it down on the card in advance and then about an hour into the movie since i knew based on and and so obviously spoilers guys i mentioned that that episode that there was uh, the previous episode that there's a couple of scenes that were talked about online where it's okay moments to go to the bathroom yes and i judged like all right if the hulk eating lunch scene is supposed to take place about an hour into the movie that'll be my that'll be my sort of waypoint to to raise my order card so i don't have to worry about eating or drinking too much right at the very beginning of the movie so it uh, it seemed to work out fine for me but you saw it thursday night yes i saw the fan event at 5 p.m on thursday which sold out along with almost everything else that sold out our theater (laughs) our there there were very few showings from friday up through some parts of sunday that didn't sell out at my theater every even the 3D showings obviously took longer because people are not people are still reluctant to spend money on 3D. The opposite of what happened, the opposite of what was in effect around the time the uh, like Thor and the original wave of Marvel MCU movies were coming out back when 3D was in. But they most of the but a lot of those sold out too. So not surprisingly, considering as we will talk about the box office on this movie, pretty much almost everywhere around the country showings were selling out constantly for Friday and Saturday, and thus the box office that it did. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, man, I don't have anything. Uh, I, 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 this, this movie has been talked about to death uh, just in general. People are talking about it like crazy online and, and on other podcasts. Uh, we've got, we got, we were speculating uh, about it so much before it even came out that like, we've done half the talking ourselves already. So I'm just going to just hear, hear the reins, take it. What do you want to do, man? What do you want? You want to do character by character? I feel like scene by scene because there's time travel in this thing, maybe a little too, uh, you know, patty wampus, but I mean, what what do you want to do, man? How do you want to handle this? So we're not just rambling for hours. 
There would be nothing. Which is kind of funny because speaking of rambling for hours, I think it was the uh, John Campia's podcast. I think I I I watched some of them when they were talking about the movie. Then I went back and I looked at the recorded version. I think they I think they talk. I think their po- their podcast just talking about it, and responding to listeners or viewers' questions. I, I think they recorded for five hours. <laughs> Jesus Christ! No, we will not be recording for five hours. But if we record for, if it goes, if we ramble on for more than an hour, which wouldn't really be true rambling, but if we, I think there's there's enough here to dig in. I depend on how you, do you want. I mean, do you want to basically go f- use the plot as a as a reference point to talk about different things? Do you want? I mean, we could talk about the what we liked, what we didn't, uh, uh, major. Uh, we could go. We could approach this different ways. And obviously, obviously, we did not plan this ahead of time. So the question is how. how uh, first impressions. My first impression, uh, a lot of places go first impressions, whether that includes spoilers or not, doesn't really matter. My first impressions, I've seen it once. That's all I had time for. That's all, you know, all you could really get a ticket for from for the area down here in terms of, you know, guys, I like to see things at Alamo Draft House, uh, and that's the only place I'm going to go. Um, so it was obviously sold out all weekend. Um, so I, I saw I, my first impression – and I, I feel like I needed to see it again and uh, really break down specifically like the time travel aspects and the laws and physics thereof, as as well as my knowledge of the MCU and, and sort of pay attention to those aspects uh, rather than the, the actual film itself. Um, I feel like it, it was a little more scatterbrained than I would have liked it to be. The, the, something felt off about the pacing, and I've been thinking about it since I saw it, and I can't not for the life of me put my finger on what it is. But something pacing-wise felt really off to me. Um, less people died than I thought. Um, and, and not that that was a bad thing, but there was so much fan service. Part of me was wondering, is it too much? Uh, you know, or you know. At, at the same time, though, I mean, it's the fights. <laughs> I don't want to say the final movie, but it's such a huge movie. It's such a, uh, a movie with such a final feeling to it. Like if anything was going to have this much fan service in it, it had to be this film. So I get it. Um, I'm, I, I enjoyed the crap out of it. There were moments I, you know, the, the cap with the, the with, with uh, Mjolnir moment obviously was a huge moment. It's, it's, I go to an 8 a.m. showing, so <laughs> expect everybody to be a little bit tired. Um, <laughs> But uh, you heard some people in the audience kind of go, ah! you know, just kind of make a, make some noises. And I was like, you know what? Fuck it. <laughs> I don't care. I'm going to be that dude. And I just started clapping. <laughs> and it started, over, started a round of applause in there. People were like, oh, someone else is clapping? Cool. I'm going to get away with it. And <laughs> we just started a round of applause uh, in the theater for that moment. And, uh, you know, a lot of moments towards the end. Um, I really enjoyed some of the, the, the stuff that maybe only the – Real comic fans, and by real comic fans, I don't mean like gatekeepers. I, I mean people who are actively currently reading comics. We're going to get like, for instance, when at the very, very end, when um, Thor's on the ship uh, with the Guardians, he goes, "We're back together again, the As Guardians of the Galaxy." <laughs> like that's a funny joke and that's a funny pun and everything. But for those of you who don't know, Marvel is currently publishing a book called As Guardians of the Galaxy, and it's only like ten issues in. So, like, that's a shout out to a book that is happening real time. <laughs> so that's kind of cool. Um, and I, I don't think, I don't think that's a continuation of a series. Like, I don't think Marvel has had a book called As Guardians no, of the Galaxy in the past. Nope. So this is a first time series that got a real time shout out in this movie, sort of. Um, and uh, yeah, 
I don't know. I mean, there's there's so many great moments, moments to smile about. Before we started recording, I watched Kevin Smith's uh, video about it. Of course, he was crying, but like he he made a good point. And he goes, like, people can make fun of me all they want for crying, but, you know, I, I'm going to give my money to people who make me feel things in this day and age. So, like, if you make me feel something, then, you know, <laughs> I don't give a shit if I cry about it publicly or not. Like, you know, you made me feel something in this, let's be frank and real, like this, this sh- shithole of an era that we live in. <laughs> so, uh, so that was cool. And, and you know, I, I, didn't, I didn't cry or anything, but I was like, I, I, I for, the, for a couple of the moments that he felt really emotional about, I was like, I feel you, because uh, because when 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 Falcon said on your left, I was like, oh come on, that was I, that I, was nice. I watched the Kevin Smith thing too. It was, the funniest thing, at least he recognized it at one point, because I forget how much of it I watched. Kevin Smith had this had this series of. Uh, roadblock in his head that, that he kept confusing Civil War with Winter Soldier constantly. Yeah. He didn't catch yeah. himself once, but almost everything he said, oh, Robert Redford, Civil War, it's like, no, Winter Soldier, Winter Soldier. <laughs> so for whatever reason, he kept confusing almost almost all his references that were actually Winter Soldier, he said Civil War. <laughs> uh, that's all the pot, people. So it's a thing that has no effect on you. Look at Kevin Smith. <laughs> uh, I dislike the term fan service. Because it's overused, there's a lot of terms that get used, and I'm not, and this is not you using it. Why it bothers me? Because as, as other pe- as other people have pointed out, it's not it's not necessarily fan service if it's stuff that's a it's a it's a payoff or stuff that's been building and hinted at and been people have been you know lay, it's layers and people have been waiting for for like twenty something movies. So it's not pure, you know so some things are not you know it's not pure fan service. Uh, there there's a lot of there's a lot of there's a lot of callbacks. There's a lot a reverence to things that have happened before, and some things are. And obviously, the, the, the on your left thing is cool because of the fact that not only does Falcon get to kind of pay it back to Cap, but because that was their first movie. That was the Russo's first <laughs> movie in the MCU was Winter Soldier, where, where that line comes from. And there's a lot of there's there are there are a bunch of those things that 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 pay off, and some and some and the ones I think work the best are the subtle ones. Things that, and obviously nothing is more subtle. And this is a complete. We're not. This is going out of order completely. But nothing, nothing works more subtly. But if you get it, it works really cool. Than Black Panther calling Hawkeye Clint, <laughs> because that because when they because they, those two characters they've only had one interaction in the MCU, and that was when they were fighting in the airport. And he goes, "Hi, we haven't we haven't met. My name is Clint." And he goes, "I don't care." <laughs> but yet he remembered his name. He just didn't give a shit. So that was so that's one of those subtle things that is really easy to overlook. But when you think about it, oh, that's why that's why it kind of works is because it's like oh, uh, there's 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 lot there are lots of moments like that. I think I do think it was a little all over the place. I want to talk about a lot of the positive stuff before the negative, but the time travel stuff is very borderline convoluted. The the, the rules they establish. And whether they actually stick with their own rules and different things, and but I think, I think the end. I think it was a, it was satisfying overall. I think people are going to have this debate whether Infinity War was better, and whether whether Endgame was better, or which one was really the bigger event. On the surface, Infinity War was the seemed like it was going to be the bigger event. Obviously, based on box office and want to see factor, at least 
during the initial weekend. Endgame clearly was the, the bigger event movies. Which, again, you get thumbs up to Marvel because three of the four Avengers movies succeeded in being event movies. The original, Infinity War, Endgame. Only Age of Ultron was not, and maybe Age of Ultron, no matter, even if it was really, really good, maybe because it was following in Avengers' footsteps, maybe it just would never have seemed. There wasn't enough of a hook for it to seem like an event movie, or be an event movie like these two were, these two part, sides of the coin in Infinity War and Endgame. I think it Endgame, also depends on if you agree that with a breakdown of what Infinity War actually was. Uh, for some people, it's a Thanos movie. Oh, it's and, not. Yeah, it's it's not an event movie. It's a Thanos movie. It absolutely that, is. I mean, yeah. if you compare the two, it's really easy to compare them to make this statement. Uh, Infinity War was a Thanos movie with the Avengers in it, and Endgame is an Avengers movie with Thanos in it. That's that. That's you could you could break it down that simply. Thanos is really not in Endgame that much, but he's in it just the right amount. Kind of like Captain Marvel, in all honesty. We'll talk about that later on too. But Captain Marvel is in it probably just the right amount. So people that were afraid she was going to hijack the movie, she doesn't hijack the movie. You don't have to you don't have to worry about that. She does not she does not hijack the movie. Uh, and Thanos is in it the right amount. Early Thanos and and once they start doing the time travel and everything else. But I think Endgame is ultimately more satisfying than Infinity War. I think I think where these characters go, even with Tony and everything else and, and Black Widow, I think it's ultimately satisfying. I do. I'm probably going to see it again next week. And you give them credit for being ballsy in some of their decisions because obviously they did not just put everything back exactly where it was when everything happened. They brought everybody back, but they brought them back five years later, which 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 creates a whole different world and a whole potential pro- galaxy uni- universe and a whole potential shit ton of problems by bringing all these people and all these animals and all these living creatures back instantly after five years when it, you know basically everything's adjusted to not having them around not just in pure volume but in individual relationships and things like that so the repercussions of that and the fact that we have no more infinity stones in our timeline and our in our timeline all the infinity stones are gone if you if thanos is to be believed and we they and so until and again all you can go with is what you're told and and so so until we find something to the contrary there are no more infinity stones which has ramifications certainly for dr strange first and foremost no more eye of agamotto for him but the time stone, he doesn't have, have that power anymore. Well, I think there. I think the infinity stones are there. No, they're in the because past. they were all returned back to where they were in tw- in their, where they were taken. Our, in our time, in our current timeline, they're all gone because Thanos destroyed them in the beginning of the movie. They're gone. Hmm. Remember, that's the whole. When we get into the time travel thing, remember that's the, that's the part whether you whether you think it should be this way or not. Banner makes the point of saying. That that's not time travel doesn't work like Back to the Future and Terminator and all this stuff. That you go back and you change the past, it doesn't change our timeline. It creates an alter, it creates an alternate an alternate timeline, and that's what it affects. It's not going to affect things that have already happened for us. So our Infinity Stones were destroyed with Thanos before they before they confronted him in the beginning of the movie. He used them to destroy each other. Those stones are gone. Yes, you could go back. Yes, you could do something like they did in this movie and go back and. Take Infinity Stones from the past and bring them to our time and use them, but in our current time, in our current, in our timeline, there are no more Infinity Stones from here going forward because they've all been destroyed. Hmm. So, uh, but I, I thought overall, my over my overall impression, it was it was it was satisfying. I thought for a three-hour movie, it were it, it it moved pretty well. 
I know some people or the early reviews or early comments were that it kind of dragged in the first hour, which I didn't really see. I understood why they did that because they were establishing what the new status quo was and basically where everybody was in five years. Because obviously, when Scott Lang can talk about a duex machina, when he get you know when that rat, I, I'd be cur- I'd be curious to have a chit chat with Doctor Strange to see like of all these 14 million plus possibilities, like how many different things happen like in like all 14 million, like how like how many how many like how many times did Scott get out of, get out of the quantum realm the same exact way, at the same time, or did he get out at different times and in, in place and you know, I, I, all these things, all these little you know. Well, you you've seen you've, you've seen the meme of like the. The Avengers Endgame Blu-ray release with uh, 14 million whatever alternate endings. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but I, that's one of the things I was watching is like like how many times in all the all 14 million plus possibilities, like how many times – not only – like how many times does Scott never get out of the quantum realm? How many times did he get out but in a different time? But the idea is that once Scott gets out and he and – he, he brings up the whole quantum realm concept and how it only seemed like five hours to him, though he was gone for five years, that that is what basically – and getting the band back together and where everybody is. And obviously most characters are in – so many of these characters are in really, really, really weird places, uh, which from a character disc- – I mean when we, br- when we break down the characters, that's kind of an, important where black, you know, Black Widow is kind of like take almost almost like a taking like a Tony kind of role, being like super proactive, wanting to be aware of every single thing that's going on and trying to nip it in the bud if there's even even if it's a hint of a problem, and and then you got Thor, <laughs> Big Lebowski, which, which was another gutsy move. I don't necessarily agree that that's what we should. Have done. <laughs> no pun intended. Yes. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So maybe I don't know. Maybe we should talk characters first. Uh, um, I don't know. I, 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 it was a gutsy move. Again, no pun intended to do that with Thor. I don't think they should have kept him that way the whole movie. But I have a theory on part of why we got that, which comes back to the Russos, because about something we talked, something the Russos said that we talked about related to Infinity War with the Vision. That I think they just there's a certain they just have a certain disdain or have no desire to use omnipotent characters. I mean, we look at the Flash 3 movies they did, I think you can see a pretty clear pattern of them purposely taking these characters off the board so they don't have to deal with them. But Thor is clearly the str- of all the Avengers left at the end of the at the end of Infinity War, Thor is absolutely the most powerful Avenger that that, that we have. And uh, and we saw how badass he could be at towards the very end of Infinity War. So they just completely, you know, cut him down and make him such comic relief. I mean, yeah, he's funny as hell because Hemsworth is funny as hell, and you understand why. You know, he's absolutely he's absolutely depressed. He's got PTSD. He's living with the forget about normal survivor's guilt. He's living with the guilt that he fucked up, that he could have stopped this if he if he just didn't. Again, some of that arrogance, pride goeth before the fall. If now related to Thor, and when they first confront Thanos in the beginning of the movie. When they when they friggin' cut his cut the gauntlet off his wrist, did you think that was an example of okay, we're learning from every, all the mistakes we made before, or, or or was that just too much? It was like why the fuck didn't they do that at, at any point in the first movie? Because <laughs> that was my reaction. I know they're trying to learn from their mistakes, but it also was a real early, right in your face reminder that shit they could have done this in the goddamn first movie. It's like five different five hundred, maybe not five hundred. They could have done this a crap ton of ways in the first movie. 
to get to cut the wrist and the gauntlet off of him and stop the problem, but nobody even tried it. So I, I just remind, in a way, it's, it, may, it, may, it just reminds you, it reminded me anyway, the fact that they could have done this, but they didn't before. A little late now. <laughs> Um, well, it was a uh, it was in one of the um, scenes from the uh, how it should have ended YouTube series. Yes, someone someone had Doctor Strange create a portal and then cut it off the same way he cut off the hand of uh, yeah. what's his name well, who he left well, in this well, yeah did, yeah yeah so I mean or I mean you go back to when they're trying to pull the glove off of him on Titan. All they really needed to do, all, besides the fact that yes, Doctor Strange could absolutely have just created a dimensional portal and cut his cut his wrist off. All they needed was Peter pulling, and, and and Tony could have used his lasers and stuff in his in his in his armor to just start hacking off hacking off his wrist. Yeah. You know, so that so yeah. So I thought, but I, that was kind of predictable for me. I thought I really thought it was going to go like that. I know a lot of people thought, oh, they were going to go f- face him in the beginning of the movie, and they were they were going to get their asses kicked again. It's like, oh, we have to face him before he has the gauntlet and stones. I kind of figured that the, either the gauntlet wasn't going to be working, but the stones were going to be there, or vice versa. It just made sense that because then they. especially if there was going to be a time jump, it made sense that okay, they, they realize that there's nothing that they can do. Uh, and Thor just kills him out of anger and frustration, and the fact that, yeah. So, yeah. It, so that was kind. Of, it was it was the five year jump was kind of gutsy. I mean, I think I mean we kind of suspected there was a time jump, but just seeing it on the screen five years later, <laughs> and Tony, Tony being rescued. You know, actually, Nebula is one of the all stars in this in this movie. That hmm. you could really see how Nebula. Probably our best example of how, how Nebula has, you know, basically completely turned around. You saw, I mean, you saw some of it in Infinity War, just like she started a warm up at the end of Guardians 2. But in this movie, from the very beginning, you see how she's changed. I mean, she's being really reverent to Tony. She's really going out of her way to physically take care of him. They're playing paper football was a classic. <laughs> that was just funny as hell. You know, speaking of pacing, you know, because I we kept one of the debates we had had early on was how is Tony and Nebula going to get rescued in this movie? And we almost immediately wrote off Captain Marvel showing up and saving him because that's just too easy. And yet that's what they did. I think the reason we wrote it off was because I think when we talked about this, it was the context. And I think what we're supposed to assume now that we saw that scene at the end of Captain Marvel, that I think we're supposed to assume, especially since Pepper's at Avengers headquarters when they arrive, I think we're supposed to assume that Captain Marvel showed up in response to the beeper and then basically the Avengers sent her basically sent her to go out and look for Tony. And I think that's what we're I think that's what we're supposed to or or to track down the Guardian ship because because of what of, of Rocket helping her do that. But I think that's what we're supposed to assume is and that's what we were missing. We were missing contact. It would be completely random for her to be flying back to Earth and just bump into that ship and stop. So now I think that I think with in context it makes sense. But yeah, I think I think we also I mean, for me anyway, I just kind of figured that between Tony, you know, between Tony being Tony and and Nebula being pretty mechanical and also being made of mechanical parts that they might have been able to But it was cool seeing the scene when they were working on the on the engine, you know, when the engine was damaged and we're getting that scene we saw in the trailer and everything else how how they worked they how they worked 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 well together. And it was also really interesting though after that initial moment when he's getting off the ship that when when he's kind of like or like on, already like an you know having an IV hooked up and he looks like shit which he does he looks like he lost like you know 
freaking 15 pounds or something. That that which obviously was a cathartic moment for him and probably also for Steve when he just lashes out at him. Which is their first confrontation since Civil War, and he's essentially blaming not not just Steve, but he's kind of blaming everybody for getting for not going along with his armor around the world concept. But there were, you know, obviously there were there were there were several shout outs to Ultron in this movie, and that was, and that was that was one of the most glaring. Uh, so I thought, so I think t- Tony. I appreciate this movie. I appreciate because as a Cap guy, for everybody who thought Cap and he did, and 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 true, he had a few cool moments in Infinity War. But for the people who accurately were upset that considering how important Steve is, that he really had very little screen time, and it certainly wasn't a Cap movie. This this movie absolutely is a Cap movie, not exclusively a Cap movie, but this is certainly I probably as much of a Cap movie as any of the Avengers movies have been so far. I mean that, that's and obviously it's a Tony movie too. And Thor has his moments, but Thor is definitely like number three. And you can make a case Thor is always number three because Tony and Steve are always one and two. But I think oh, I got we got derailed on the Nebula thing. Uh, now, she just really she was a star in this movie as far as her character, the fact that her her humor, just the fact that she's that's. The the it's kind of like the irony of her trying to you know her trying to play the Gamora role, not just talking to Gamora herself, past Gamora, but talking to her, her own self, trying to can basically convince her past self of basically what's not just what's going to happen, but that you don't have to do this, that she's in that she's in the Gamora role speaking to 2014 Gamora and Nebula trying to get the point across, and of course only ne- only Gamora comes around and he, she has to kill herself, which is kind of. Which is which is kind of daring, but I do like the fact that she that her role going forward with with Gamora, which you know, which and we can take it to the bank. Twenty fourteen Gamora is going to be important in the next Guardians movie. That she's kind of like in a mentorship role, you know, she's kind of like in a, she's in the big sister role now, looking out for. And of course, you you have to assume that part of. And we've seen this in other in other movies and other TV shows. I think the idea of oh these two people were together and something happens and and one version of this character ends up either dying or the memories get completely lost and basically these two people have to rediscover each other again. And so you have you have to work under the assumption that's going to be an element of Guardians three. And of course now you have Thor as a potential complication. <laughs> Hopefully not fat. Please don't let it be fat Thor throughout all of Guardians three. Please for the love of God. Oh man, um, the ancient one was good. I, mm-hmm. I, I suspected we were going to see the ancient one. I kind of had a feeling, not just based on pure attitude and, and, and lack thereof of arrogance that Doctor Strange had, especially shortly after he took over the job. I always kind of suspected it made sense to try to get the, the time stone from the ancient one as opposed to Doctor Strange. So I thought I thought that was a nice touch. That was a, that was a cool cameo. Uh, obviously, Ant Man's always funny. Scott he Scott had some Scott had some cool moments in this movie too, and stuff that he did, especially when he became Giant Man at the end and taking out the you know the uh, Chitari, the, the the flying Chitari things. Uh, that that was cool, and of course the baby Scott, old man Scott, wetting himself far was great. <laughs> he became a baby. Well, didn't he? Like <laughs> the. Uh... It was also uh, America's ass. Yes, that was great. That, that was 
See, that's that's something that, in some level, you think, why is this in a comic book movie or a Marvel movie? But it works. It works so well. I mean, first of all, you kind of see that Steve and Tony are warming up to each other again and making amends, just because of the fact that he that Tony feels comfortable just making jokes like that. And and of course, we know uh, one thing that remains a constant is Scott is so much of a fanboy for Captain America, and he loves him so much that he's going to defend him no matter <laughs> defend him no matter what. So when he says that, yeah, I. I that's America's ass, and then and then when the two caps fight, it's like that is America's ass. <laughs> that, that, that that was that was really funny, and those are one of the things like when you see some of the reaction videos that have just started coming out for people, you know, reacting. Whether you see the clip or just have the audio clip of people reacting, the, the Captain America stuff is really cool to see people react to. Just like just like in a way, it's so out of character for Steve, but obviously he's kind of changed. On some levels, he's changed and maybe been. Maybe not become as uptight, and in a way, maybe that's become freeing for him. Speaking of uptight, I laughed aloud <laughs> because uh, I, I was one of the people who was a little upset about the, this whole controversy when it went down. Um, but I mean, I didn't, you know, I wasn't, you know, death threat to, to the creative team upset about it. I just decided I wasn't going to read the series, and that, that's that. Oh, hell, I But I love, <laughs> I thought it was hilarious that they specifically had Cap say hail hydra in this movie <laughs> and 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 the, and the beauty of it is it's really not going to get people for the most part it's not going to get people pissed off because even if you don't know about the comic book controversy and the fact that there was a legitimate reason obviously why well, the fan base hated that you don't have to know anything about that because just in the context of where he is and what he's trying to do it makes perfect sense why he says that because right, exactly because and, and, and it completely defies expectation because it's obviously perfectly set up to mirror the elevator scene in Winter Soldier. So you mm-hmm. figure, oh, he's going to have to fight all these guys the way he did before with with uh, what's his face in there? Uh, what the hell's his name? The Shield guy, Jar- the Shield agent. Um, I forget his name. Uh, that. With the, with the exception of that, it's, it's almost the, you know, the same exact crew in there, the same exact elevator. You think it's going to be pretty much dealing with the same crap, and but Cap's plan is to basically not, you know, because the whole idea behind these t- missions is try to be subtle. Uh, so not because oh Terminator wise, t- Back of the Future wise, you're afraid of fucking up our timeline because they've already covered their bases on that. You're not going to do anything that screws up our timeline. You're just going to be screwing up that timeline. You're going to be creating an alternate timeline where things happen differently. But you're still trying to get in and out as undetected as possible without raising questions. So Cap just wanted to get in and out without a fight. So and the, and just to look at his face when he's proud of himself when he gets out, which of course leads to the where I swear we're starting to go with it. The fact that when he when he when when he's all con, all happy that he's he got his mission, and then all of a sudden it's like you got to be shitting me, and then he's looking at him and he's looking at the twenty the twenty twelve Cap, which I kind of had a problem with the twenty twelve Cap doing as well against our Cap. Because the 2012 Cap really wasn't trained as a fighter as well as the, the Cap we saw in Winter Soldier. He obviously had a lot of shield training post um, post Battle of New York. So I understand the Cap, our Cap was trying to hold back a little, and that Cap wasn't. So I do understand that, but it kind of bothered me. But our, I would think our Cap would have been able to beat him. But and he really wasn't. He was really getting choked out. And then, it, but he was smart enough to use his own weakness, the Bucky thing, which was another classic. And <laughs> as he himself acknowledged before, all like, 
just said Bucky, and I just boom, boom, boom. I just, and so I like the fact that he uses the Bucky thing. It screws him up, and he hits him. Then, of course, he hits him with the scepter, so he won't remember any of that anyway. <laughs> that, that was cool. The, I like the behind-the-scenes stuff, which we kind of figured we were going to get, I think, when we saw the scenes for the Battle of New York, that when they were refilming stuff from the Battle of New York. The fact that we saw what happened after Loki got captured. All the all the rest of the Avengers were going down the elevator and poor Hulk is sent down the stairs. <laughs> stairs, stairs, too many stairs. <laughs> oh, that, that 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 was funny and of course what would what would it what would something be in, with uh involving the Tesseract without Loki having to get involved somehow? With, which of course c- confused people too because they're like, oh, does that mean Loki's still alive? It's like, well, in our not in our timeline, it doesn't change anything. Or Loki's still dead. <laughs> it doesn't actually necessarily change anything in that timeline either. All that means is he wasn't captured and brought to Asgard at the same time he was before. That doesn't mean he doesn't still end up dying when Thanos does the snap in their universe. Or before well, that, we don't know. That's the whole yeah. point. We don't. We don't even know, regardless of whether he's on that ship or not. We don't know if he's going to survive if Thanos does the snap, which obviously, seemingly, he will do the snap. Uh, we don't know if he would survive. So when people say, "Oh, well, Loki's alive," well, Loki, all that proves is that Loki wasn't captured at the end of the Battle of New York in that time, and that new alternate timeline it has nothing to do with ours. Our Loki is still dead, just like our, even though for a different reason, just like our Gamora is still dead. And our Black Widow is still dead because that. But they give you rules for that, which is because in this movie, the Red Skull tells you that this, the sacrifice for the Soul Stone is irreversible. Well, we also, as far as Gamora is concerned, um, 2014 Gamora got sent back to her own time because there's that moment where you see um, uh, Star Lord on the ship when Thor joins him. He's he's searching for Gamora. She's not with them. No, she, yeah, she's not. But what does it, that doesn't mean she got sent back in time. Yeah, it does. I Why? mean, because be, because everything got reset at the end of that. She's she's gone. What they what they did was they he they Stark snapped all the all the all the uh, Thanos and his army and, and destroyed him. That's what he did. That's what okay. he did. He. So she. So what? What's the? What? So she's probably. I don't think she's dead, and I don't think she went back in time. I don't think. I don't think that's. I don't think she's either. I think she's in our present. I think she's in our present. I don't think anybody. I think they were. They were trying. Well, to, they were well, trying the same, to the same way. You, the, the same way you had to re- restore the timeline to, to to return the Infinity Stones and Mjolnir back to where they took them from. I would imagine you'd have to take Gamora back. Otherwise, she's displaced from her timeline. But that does, the reason the ancient one tells us the ancient one gives us some mumbo jumbo about why the stones have to go back. Me, me, and uh, I. The the hammer, I guess the hammer is similar, but I guess it's just trying to return. Every, I think it's the doing their it's doing their best not to have a dramatic effect to that past timeline and not to cause too many reverberations is what I think. But we don't actually physically see Gamora dying, nor do we physically see her being sent in the past. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I th- Well, all we know is Star-Lord is, is looking for her, so yes. either she left or she got returned to her timeline. I think she got returned to her timeline. And I think she's still around, because if she got sent back in the timeline, then they're never, he's... I, I, I don't know. Well, we're going we're gonna to find out. We're, we're, 
I think we're going to find out if I had to bet. I'm betting she's still around in our in in our timeline that she hasn't go, that she was she didn't go back. Um, but so uh, but but either way, uh, I'm, I'm, we kind of got short kind of got railroaded a little here as far as uh, I didn't like I didn't think Clint I I never liked Jeremy Renner before the Avengers movie started and I like him more now and I thought he was I thought I liked him more I started to like the character more in Ultron and certainly in Civil War though he wasn't in it for much I did like him I didn't I didn't think much of him in this movie. I don't care that he was Ronan. I felt bad his family got dusted, but so, almost everybody's had people that got dusted. Nor do, I, nor do I feel bad as far as, oh, we should bring the guy in because he's killing criminals and crime family syndicates. I don't care. Just like – it's like, kind of like Rhodey said. It's like it's, real, it's like really – he doesn't – like it's like <laughs> – it's really kind of like I don't even really want to deal with this <laughs> for multiple reasons. So – he, I think he was only there because of the bond with Natasha, and to give us again a, a, the to give us an up in the air about which person was going to sacrifice themselves for the Soul Stone. And so I think it made sense it was Natasha because it would kind of be shitty for for Clint to sacrifice himself to bring his family back and not being able to. I mean, it would make sense to do it, but it kind of would be a, a, like a real shot to do that. It's like, hey, your family's back, but now you're not. Natasha's real family are the Avengers at this point, so to make so for her to sacrifice herself, it is kind of interesting though that she continued her streak of of always beating Hawkeye when they fight. <laughs> mm-hmm. Even though I think part of I like to think part of it is because Clint holds back on her, uh, and maybe we don't know. Maybe when they fought, when they you know when they first met, the whole Budapest thing and everything else. Maybe when they first fought, maybe he didn't hold back on her. Uh, yeah, and and I mean. It's pretty much guaranteed that the Black Widow movie at this point is a prequel. Yeah. Yeah, it's a prequel. I know some people have speculated, well, if Cap returns the Soul Stone back to exactly when the time he got it, somehow does that mean that, oh, Black Widow should be back because the stone was never taken? But based on the fact that. Yeah, that's not what Red Skull says. Yes, based on the fact that they they absolutely on purpose give us this line because it was not in the original movie. It was not in Infinity War. This was something. This was. One of the few things the Red Skull says, which isn't verbatim from what he said in the first movie, is the fact that the sacrifice for the Soul Stone is irreversible, which is why our Gamora is still dead, even though everything has been out, been corrected, and even and even and that's why Black Widow is you know, Black Widow's gone. And some people said, "Oh, what about Adam Warlock?" Well, again, you have to—he would have to get a Soul Stone from the past because there are the Soul Stone doesn't exist anymore, and yeah. and our and our universe. So. I Guardians think, 3 better be Warlock and Beta Ray Bill. That's all I'm saying. I don't care how far off that movie is. I don't care what scripting or casting rumors come out. I'm holding my ground from here on out. I better see Adam Warlock and Beta Ray Bill or I'm going to lose my effing mind, especially <laughs> if Thor is involved in this and we don't get Beta Ray Bill. I'm going to flip my shit. <laughs> yeah, I mean – what I see, what I liked, what I liked with Thor, see the hammer, the hammer thing was very, the hammer thing was clever. Now, even if you move beyond the leaks, and obviously there were some leaks by the time we talked about this last time, you know the some of the footage and some of the, the screen caps came out. So, for people who paid attention and looked for this stuff, it was already confirmed at that point that ha- the Cap was going to be wielding the hammer because because that stuff leaked. But 
if you didn't know any of that going in and you stayed away from spoilers, they were very clever with the fact that Thor calling to his hammer, not just because Thor was pretty much the lost soul, but because it it did something for Thor because it reinforced to Thor that he was still worthy despite his screw-ups, that he was still worthy. And then – and plus it looked like, oh, the payoff for that was so he could wield Mjolnir and Stormbreaker at the same time. So that looked like, oh, that could be the payoff. And even when they had that big – you know, arguably the biggest moment uh, – you know, the biggest stand-up and cheer move, mo- moment of the movie – when he's about to get, you know, appropriately so, considering how Infinity War ended, that Stormbreaker is about to be pushed into his chest instead of what he did to Thanos, and then the hammer slowly starts to rise, and, and then, he, then Thanos gets hit with the hammer. It all still could have been Thor calling Mjolnir to him. But then once you see it hit Thanos and go flying back in the opposite direction, and then Cap catches it, then you realize that it was Cap who was picking it up the ground and throwing it. And then re- retrieving it, and of course Thor's reaction was priceless. As he, right after he was getting his ass pummeled, it's like I knew it. <laughs> which of course, which of course is another callback to Ultron when we saw the, the hammer budge ever so gently or slightly when they were all having the contest about lifting it. Yeah. Now when the vision, now when the vision wielded the hammer and Ultron, he just he just lifted it and he used it as a weapon, but he never used any of the power. Correct. Um, he never drew lightning or anything. He didn't throw lightning. I think he just physically lifted it at Avengers headquarters at the mansion, and then he used it in the ba- then he used it like one time in the battle against Ultron when Thor was stalling, and he just right. and he just cold cocked Ultron. What's your thought? Yeah, was- he cold cold cocked him, and then he's like, you know, we're running out of time, and he just handed Mjolnir to Thor. Oh, and, he, and he's like, oh, it's terribly well balanced, and they had that yeah. conversation. Oh, it's, it's yeah. all, if it gets too heavy, you know, it's all in the wrist, and the, yeah. So I thought it was interesting because, again, some people, the, the, the non-diehard comic book fans or the people who don't pay so much attention to even maybe some details in earlier MCU movies, I know some people said, oh, well, then why is he being able to you know, call lightning and throw lightning? It's like, well, you got to go back to the enchantment Odin put on the hammer. It's like, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's you know, basically. He shall, if, if he be worthy, shall possess the, the power, power of, Thor. of Thor. It isn't just being able yeah. to lift the hammer. It's just if you are worthy, you actually have the power that Thor has, which is an interesting comparison when you go back to think of looking back at it now with the vision because maybe the vision was only partially worthy. He was worthy enough to lift it. Or he just didn't have any understanding of really what it was where he would even try doing that. Possibly. But either way, I, I do Or the debate remains true if you put it in an elevator and the elevator, <laughs> elevator goes up. Worthy. Yeah, I mean, it, could, it, it partially could be yes that he's not really alive. That could be part of it, but I think. And that could be, and then there could be limits on it. He may be, he may have been innocent enough and pure enough, which I will always maintain was part of the reason why he could do that. I don't think maybe Infinity War Vision would have been able to lift it before he got crippled. I don't. But either way, I think just the fact that there was a nice differentiation between what's because Cap is completely worthy and he's able to wield the power of Thor, not just hold the hammer. And he does a and he does a really good job against Thanos for a certain period of time. He really beats the he really it's, it was that's what makes part of it really cool to see when it gets your you know gets your hair standing up you know. The, and then later on when when he's fighting with Stormbreaker oh, yes. and, and Thor's like no 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 you have the little yeah you have the little <laughs> that that, see, that that's what Marvel does really well because 
that that is a really really again it's subtle but it's it's subtle but it's so friggin' funny because at this point they are both inherently they are both equally worthy of these weapons and they're basically trying to and and they're calling weapons to each other and the wrong one friggin' comes because because obviously Cap I don't think would even think about calling Stormbreaker and Thor is calling the one probably maybe. And, and they just kind of get crossed in the crossed in the wind there, and it's like, oh, it's like, no, no, I'll take that. It's like you take the, you take the little one. It's like that that was a that was that was a great moment. And just for a second, I thought Cap was going to wield the Iron Man suit too, because remember the moment where Tony rips off his thing and hands that to to, to Cap. I thought at some point, okay, oh shit, maybe maybe Cap's got all three: his shield, the suit, and the hammer. Like for for the briefest of seconds, it would have been overkill. But for a moment, I was like, "Doesn't he have Tony's nanotech? Like, couldn't he have that on him somewhere?" Because remember that moment, Tony Tony rips off the nanotech off his chest and hands it to Cap right before oh, he passes out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. During his during his uh going off on him and stuff like that. Yeah, that, right. That is true. But then, then again, we also we also don't know actually. The, that they were now they they were done wearing their their uh, quantum realm suits when they were when they when Thor when the Hulk was bringing everybody back they were just wearing their regular uniforms they were right they were all done with their inf- but their infinity but their yeah. uh, quantum or else or else we could have said the quantum realm tech technically since they were able to jump and change uniforms uh, yeah. in the past and do what they needed but yeah the, the pajama party suits yes I like those uniforms they were they were they were pretty they were pretty cool I. I think so. The, yeah, the the Thor that yeah that stuff with the, the stuff with Thor and Cap was just that was just really really funny and and it was it was it was really it was cool to see that moment. It was cool to now I think now I think that the uh, another character that didn't work for me really was Professor Hulk for a couple of reasons. Yeah, I mean it was funny. Banner was funny. Yeah, you know, Banner was funny that way, and yeah, you can't say he had nothing to do because obviously he was the one who was able, who was technically powerful enough. Even though, it was, I guess, I guess obviously we figure by the end of the movie we understand Tony could have done it, but he would have died. But Hulk was the only one who supposedly could do it and and not die, and maybe not necessarily be crippled for life. He obviously his his arm was still in the sling at the end of the movie, but he also was running into battle. So we don't know if he's permanently damaged or whether his healing factor is also going to be able to take care of that. But I don't know. I thought I thought, – and he also had that pseudo-Secret Wars moment when he was holding up the tunnel, everything that caved in when the, after the Avengers HQ got destroyed. But, well, he's also, he's also like um, – <coughs> yeah, everybody refers to him as Professor Hulk, and I understand why they do that. But it, it's more like Zen Hulk. Like nothing bothers him anymore. He is he is totally at like one of the more underrated comedic moments is when Ant Man's eating his lunch. Oh yeah, Taco. And, and everybody flies in, and Nebula's like, "Careful, Rocket! There's some idiot in the landing zone." And, <laughs> and, and, and or careful, Rhodey! There's some there's some idiot in the landing zone. Is what's up, regular sized man? Yeah, and which is Hulk... another throwback to Civil War, obviously. Yeah, and, and Hulk, yeah, yeah, <clears throat> and then and then Hulk hands him two tacos and just smiles and walks off. Like there's like even even when uh, Scott comes back as baby and then old man and and then kid and 
I you consider know, this uh, a win. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like it's it it's not just Professor Hulk, it's like Zen Hulk. Nothing even when shit is going horribly wrong, nothing really bothers him except for Nat's death. And even that didn't bother I mean it bothered him, but and, and I think that and that's part of where I was going with this. The reason why in the books and again I would say this is probably to me I would see this more as intelligent Hulk than Professor Hulk. Professor Hulk really when they did the Professor Hulk thing in the comic books, basically it was a merging of three different personalities or psyches. You had the Grey Hulk, Mr. Fix-It, you had the Savage Rampaging Hulk, and then you had Bruce Banner, and you had all three coming together to form a whole because they were all parts of – they were all fract- fractured parts of a whole, and they became one being. In this, we don't really get that idea, and I, and I guess it bothers me because I don't see what the Hulk got out of this from from having that happen. Because the Hulk had his own personality. So seeing so – and we kind of got to see more and more of that personality. Obviously, we got to see a lot of it in Ragnarok. So to see that so, so, to see that Hulk get completely swallowed up and not even any explanation for, oh, you know, that – when he was referring to – he used to see the Hulk as a disease, I think it would have been better if they approached it as, you know, that – he, he may have thought it was a disease or looked at it at first, but then he just realized this is another part of myself, and something, and and just play up the fact that basically you know, you know mer- merging into. I just I bothers me because I don't see what the Hulk got out of this merger. It seems like the Hulk just ended up getting completely shafted, and Banner hmm. and Banner got the win-win, but not necessarily because if we we. Ne- from an offensive perspective, we see the Hulk do nothing in this movie. Forget about the natural disappointment that we don't get the Thanos Hulk rematch at all. Move beyond that, which still, which, which a lot of people probably were disappointed in. It's the fact that he doesn't. I mean, yeah, he leaps into battle at the end, but we see him do nothing. And it's oh, he kind of he kind of gently tosses a motorcycle. <laughs> yeah. I thought that was hilarious. Where yeah, he like, when, when he's trying to be him, yeah, when he's like, ah, ah, oh, I gotta take my shirt off. He's like, yeah, I just, he's like, it's just gratuitous at this point. It, yeah, it, it's funny. It's funny, but let's be honest. If the Hulk can't get angry, if Banner can't get angry, that's what makes the Hulk the Hulk, regardless of whether it's the intelligent Hulk, Professor Hulk. If 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 you take away the ability, the uniqueness. Which was the which is literally the Hulk's strength, which is that the angrier the Hulk gets, the stronger he gets. Which you know, but as a concept, is almost universal. Which is why it was always weird they took that away from the Abomination, because almost everything, if you get really angry, you're going to get temporarily stronger. But you take that's the Hulk's claim to fame, because as the Hulk, as I go back, as I've said a few times, I think on the show, it was like an issue, issue 270 of the Incredible Hulk when he's squaring off with the Abomination, who's got his full power back, the original Abomination at full strength, which was much stronger than the Hulk. And he kicks the Hulk's ass almost as quickly as he did back then, and he's all happy and celebrating, and the Hulk slowly starts rising from his – because his face got driven into the ground, and he starts rising up. And, it, and I forget the percentage. I'm just going to say three, but it was something like this. He goes, you know, Big Ears forgets. It doesn't matter. You could be three times as strong as Hulk when Hulk only has to get three times is angry. So the fact is, which was one of the one of the disadvantages the Hulk had against Thanos, besides not being as skilled a fighter, is that the Hulk's anger was just like very on the Hulk scale. He wasn't like incredibly angry. He was just eh, eh, typically angry. The Hulk would have to have been much much angrier to be able to do better against Thanos even then, to be able to hit harder, take the punishment. But he but he never 
And that's what happened. And that's what happened when he fought the abomination the first time. Is that he did get angrier, but because the abomination was so much stronger at first, he couldn't get angry enough fast enough to compensate, and that's why he got his ass kicked. So I think taking that. I mean, I'm sure. We're gonna we're gonna understand more about this Hulk in the future because I think he's one of the characters I think you could take to the bank. We're gonna see again. So. Oh yeah. Um, and, and and speaking of, we're 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 gonna talk about all this stuff more in depth later because we're supposed to definitely get more Avengers pops. And Mark and I were talking about it. <laughs> I, was, I was like, they've already got me sold on a khaki wearing cardigan wearing Hulk and <laughs> with some stubble and glasses as well as. Uh, Big Lebowski Thor wearing <laughs> wearing some Crocs, <laughs> and, that, and that's see, and that's another that's another thing they did a good job with Mister Misdirection with because the uh, the fact that the, the pop that came out the pop that I have of Thor both of them there's two actually three from Infinite Foam Endgame yes there's three they're they're uh, they're um, two with Hulk in the pajama what I call pajama party suits. Um, but both in different poses. Well, I'm thinking Thor. That's in, more than Hulk. Oh, 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 oh. Okay, and 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 then there's the Hulk that's in the gray and the purple suit. Yeah, right, right. Yes, 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 yes. Now, yes, the two pack with Thanos, which is another complete misdirection, by the way. Uh, I'm, but I'm thinking just a Thor solo pop, which is which is basically Thor Ragnarok, Thor, clean cut Thor, uh, ripped, mm-hmm. ripped, ripped Thor wearing the. The Quantum Realm suit, which of course we never get in this movie because it's Fat Thor, uh, right? So yeah, they 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 op- they open the door for that. I I I mean I I don't want to make it sound like I didn't like Thor. I it's hard not to like Thor, but I think that yeah, it would have been better if he kind of be slowly moved moved along to becoming. Not Fat Thor <laughs> again. Valkyrie having bring- that's true, but but I think one of the greatest things about Thor and and I'm you guys know I, I call Thor one of my top five Marvel characters, and sure part of the reason I, I really enjoy him is the mythology aspect. I always liked mythology, and part of the reason I like him is the uber powerful god aspect. But because of those things, it's very hard to not have a perfect character in terms of, you know, people are always talking about if Superman is so good and has all these powers, how do you write for him? And then, Mark, you were mentioning earlier about the Russo brothers not liking omnipotent characters and stuff like that. Same thing. I've mentioned this before. Denny O'Neill has told me directly and said in other interviews he doesn't like writing godlike characters for all of these same reasons. Well, Thor is the same sort of a thing. So the only place you have to go with Thor in terms of comic stuff that will make sense is his own worthiness in terms of whether or not he's actually worthy. You know, that's that's one thing. There's a moment. There's the the, the reason that Jane Foster eventually picks up the hammer and becomes becomes the becomes the new Thor um, for a little while when Thor was a woman is because he becomes unworthy for a while after something Nick Fury says to him uh, during. I don't remember what the event was called, Um, but that's you, you do that to Thor is he becomes unworthy again for a while. He doubts himself. He has he's he's almost like. Superman's power level in mythology and like all this stuff in terms of physicality and, and, and stuff, but with the personality and self doubt of Kyle Rayner. Hmm. Like, 
you know, like that's 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 part of the reason I like Thor so much is because, sure, there are moments where you're going to be able to write him in this super epic badass way. Like, for instance, in the Straczynski Thor omnibus, I have one of the best moments is earlier on in that series, um, because you guys if you guys remember during the original Civil War storyline, um, everybody's forced to register and blah, blah, blah. This is uh, taking place after Ragnarok in the comics, so everybody thinks the Asgardians are dead, that Thor is dead. Well, at one point, Tony decides, with the help of Hank Pym or somebody, to clone Thor and make a robot out of him. Well, they they clone Thor, they use his DNA, the God of Thunder, and they use him in a fight with with everybody. And and this this robot Thor, uh, Clore, which is what Peter calls him later on, um, kills Bill Foster, just goes absolutely berserk during the middle of this battle and shoots a big-ass bolt of lightning through the center of Bill Foster's chest while he's in giant man mode and kills him on the spot. Well, later on, the the Straczynski run of Thor happens following the events of Civil War for a little while, and Tony and, and, and Thor have their inevitable confrontation, you know, because Thor has heard about what has happened, and Tony's coming to talk to Thor because Thor has risen, uh, has recreated Asgard in the middle of uh, in the middle of Oklahoma, and the registration act is still going on. So you know you gotta you gotta come talk to the the, the head of Shield and and the guy that's behind all this has got to go ahead and say, hey, um, uh. You know, here, here's here's a, here's the situation. You know, don't don't come mess with me. They get in this big fight, uh, and um, there's a moment where he grabs Tony by the throat, rips his mask off, stares him dead in the eye, and he says, "Give your orders and ultimatums to those who choose to obey, or to too cowardly to fight, not to me, or learn again the difference between a god of thunder and a mortal man in a metal suit." And you read that moment, and you're like, "Holy fuck!" Thor can have those moments, but he also has to have those moments of serious doubt. And is he doing the right thing? Is he living up to his father's legacy? Is he living up to his mother's legacy? Is he living up to who he is? Uh, Is he living up to the expectations of his people? Is he living up to the romantic entanglement that he has with Jane Foster? Now, I'm just going off comics here. But you have to have that those, those sorts of moments with Thor. So while it may have been sort of off for the movie, it's it's one of the only tropes you can truly do with Thor. I get it. I I do get it. Uh, I'm just concerned. You don't want as funny as Thor is, and as much as people love kind of like the funny Thor, you just don't want Thor to be a complete joke. Hmm. And I and I think they were, I think they were walking that fine line sometimes in this movie because because he was such a wreck for the majority of the movie. And at the end of the movie, and maybe maybe this I, maybe I sh- I'll do this now just because it we kind of you kind of gave me a, a good opening for it. The whole when we when we talked about Infinity War, you know, the Russos had made a comment. So I forget if we talked about this during the actual review or when we did the commentary track because I remember I don't remember when they said it. But they pretty much made a statement how they uh, one of the reasons why they purposely did what they did with Division, which is more or less crippling him within the first five minutes we see him in Infinity War, was because when you have these omnipotent characters, it becomes a problem what to do with them. Uh, and you look at you look at the Russo, and again the. I, 
I think the Russos have done a great job. So it's not criticizing the Russos. I love all the movies they've given us so far. They've given us the, the two cap, their two cap movies and the two Avengers movies, and I think they've done a better job than anybody else has done for Marvel. Uh, bar none, they've done better than Guns done for the Guardians, and they did better than Whedon did in the beginning. But the first Avengers, certainly with Ultron tacked on, and everything else, and all the original, you know, and even as good as Favreau did with the first first uh, Iron Man movie and all that stuff. That being said. There's a real when you look at the you look at this. There's a pattern they have of really of not dealing with these omnipotent characters or or re, or really weakening them across the board. Because you look at you look at you look at Civil War. First of all, they make the decision right off the bat. The two most powerful Avengers, arguably, are not even in the movie. Thor and the Hulk are not even there. So they're so those pieces are off the board completely. Even though Banner originally you know Ruffalo thought he was going to be in that movie, so I think they shifted his. Move his contract appearance to probably the Ragnarok instead, which we can't complain about. It worked well, but they took those characters off the board. The Vision, as a lot of people pointed out, where the hell was the Vision in the beginning of the beginning action sequence of Civil War? Because he probably could have handled almost all that on his own, which is probably the reason why he wasn't there. Wanda, most of the movie she's not even in; she's on ice because she's in house arrest, and the Vision is the one babysitting her. So both those characters are basically. They only come out to play for that airfield battle, and everybody's kind of holding back to begin with. And the one time he, a character doesn't hold back, the Vision ends up crippling Rhodey. Plus, there kind of is the uh, it's kind of like the red herring or the uh, MacGuffin of those of those Soviet super soldiers that we think are going to be freed. We think that Zemo's plan is to release those super soldiers. Oh, Cap, Iron Man, and Bucky are going to have to fight. No, they're they're all dead. So that and that's so that's just in that's just in that movie, and obviously in Infinity War, the Hulk we see the Hulk for five minutes, and actually we never see that version of the Hulk other in flashbacks again. Period in the MCU up to this point, he's he's gone for the rest of the movie. Thor is the most powerful Avenger, or in this probably in this in that whole movie, but for the majority of the movie he's off on a vision quest or a weapon quest, as it will. Well, that may be true, but they, they they put Thor in in off the playing field in Civil War, but they also make him almost as powerful as he's ever been later on in Infinity War. Same thing happens with Wanda. We yes. may be getting her like you know down and out and all blah blah blah, but she comes back in this movie and really shows you who the Scarlet Witch is. Right, but she keep but but she keep but and. There is a track record of her doing really well, but keep getting blindsided all the time and get, or getting hit from behind. I think that happened in Infinity War like twice, and it happened I think even kind of in this movie when she's fighting Thanos. She's powerful. We get we get small snippets, but that's the point. Her, I mean, Vision gets Vision gets so Thor is on the shelf for most of Infinity War from a power perspective till the very end, and then he gets to he gets to wipe out a lot of the army, but then he has his one moment to shine and, and he screws it up. Scarlet Witch, we know what she can do once she gets on the field of battle, which is the reason why she's not on the field of battle, because she has to she has to cover for the Vision, who's crippled and is never Vision-like in the whole movie. And so, I, and, and then you get and you get to this movie, the most powerful characters. I don't care if they did it well with Captain Marvel. I'm not demand, I certainly wouldn't want her in that movie more. But as powerful as she is on what she does when she's in the movie, you know, if she was around, she could have done more. So they take her off the table. Thor is all screwed up. So Thor, even at the end of the movie, when he's got his power and he's trying to be Thor, he's not going to be as powerful as he was in Infinity War because he's just a f- kind of hate the phrase it this way, but he's kind of like a fat slob version of 
of what he was five years ago. He's not in the, he's not physically capable of being the same fighter at that time as he was. And the Hulk doesn't the Hulk doesn't get involved at all. Scarlet Witch, understandably, is barely involved because all these characters, like Doctor Strange, come back at the end. My point. My point is that if you look at what they, – they just, they just have a track record of removing – of just trying not to deal with these characters at all, and it works for the, a lot of the plot. I'm not saying it doesn't work, but it's hard not to see that that's what they're doing after they've done it like for three straight movies. And I just – it's just something that – again, I would – I'd take them back in a heartbeat to do another movie, and maybe we'll get something like Secret Wars or a Contest of Champions and things like that where you don't have to worry about about – Holding these characters back. Speaking of the vision, it really bothered me that we got that really the vision's name was never brought up at all in this movie. We don't see his body in the beginning of the movie because you assume they took it back from Wakanda. Nothing other than other than Wanda being pissed about his death and referring to him at the end when she's talking to Clint and they're basically talking about the Clint's talking about losing Natasha and he she's talking about losing the vision. But but the fact that the vision is completely swept under the rug in this movie at all kind of kind of bothered me a little. I thought that was a little disrespectful. Um, I'm wondering I'm wondering if we're missing something because they the Russos said uh, at one point what happened to Shuri was a spoiler. So I'm what I mean like look based on what we saw was I wrong about Shuri? Yes, but like also at the same time we never got confirmation that she got snapped away. I mean, she she ends up coming back, but so does Okoye through the same tunnel. So, and she never got snapped. So it does it doesn't really matter. She was on the poster but, as one of the fallen. Hey, but what I'm saying that is is it, that is completely a separate point from the Russos at one point saying what happened to Shuri was a spoiler. So I'm wondering if she ended up succeeding, and then this is just like yet another. You know, we're going we're gonna to figure out that she was able to save some of Vision's uh, matrices or, or whatever, and we'll bring him back later on. But that was just we we already had a three hour movie. We it's too much. We can't do this all. Yeah, I mean, it would have been. Oh, I mean, I would have been. I would have been content if you just saw his body in the headquarters. So, I mean, hmm. I mean. Th- I mean, I, I'm not asking for miracles here. I'm just saying because or or. Because who knows that could Banner could Banner could have I mean Banner could be working on him. You you have I mean it's been five years since so I just it just I just didn't like the way that that was kind of swept under the rug because he was he was an Avenger and and you, if you want to be technical about it you know he was I mean they, they didn't lose that many true Avengers in Infinity War but he was one of the ones they lost. I mean, and whose body remained? Yes, and his body, and his body remained, and they were there because Cap was right next to his body when when the reality of what happened at the end of Infinity Infinity War was hitting everybody. And he was down, and he was basically touching or his hands right near the Vision, if not touching him at that point. So, and of course, the Vision is a character. Clearly, he could be brought back in some way, shape, or form. So, so speaking speaking of the Vision, and this is something that kind of bothered me versus the, with their with their version of time travel. The rules they give you in this movie, which, yes, from a quantum physics perspective, t- probably is more accurate to what a lot of uh, qu- quantum physicists would say is probably how time travel would work if you could. That it would – it's the alter- alternating t- – alternate timeline concept that you're not going to affect your timeline. You j- you're just creating another timeline where changes go, go into effect, which is kind of what happened. And I was thinking about this the other day ever so briefly. I think Marvel 2 and 150, which had the thing fighting the thing. 
And basically, Ben Grimm went back. Ben Grimm ended up going back in time to face the less rocky, more more like a lumpy thing shortly after he became the thing because Reed Richards had developed a cure, but unfortunately, Reed realized it's a cure that would have worked, but it only would have worked in the non-mutated, the less mutated version of himself, but it won't work on the current Ben. He's mutated. He's gone too far. So he gets the idea, I'm going to use Dr. Doom's time machine. I'm going to go back. I'm going to give myself the cure back when I was in that condition, and then it's going to cure me going forward. And he, they fight, and he eventually knocks out that, that thing, pours, pours the cure down his throat. He turns back to Ben Grimm. He's wondering why he hasn't changed. It's, oh, it won't happen until I come back to my time. Nothing happens, and that's when Reed kind of explains the same thing to him. It's like, no, you just created another – you created like an alternate timeline. You are what you are here, and nothing's going to change that. So you just created now another timeline where that Ben Grimm has a different life, and he doesn't – so I kind of – I understand I understand it, and I, think, and I think there's even a way to explain it with the ending with Cap. I think there's a way to do that. But what bothers me about it is we know the, we know the time stone does not work that way. The time stone literally lets you dial back time in your own timeline, fix it, and it does not create an alternate timeline. As far as you know, you're, it may create – it potentially can create problems because Wong warned about it. But we've seen other characters do it, and it's not – and we're still on this timeline. We, we, saw Thanos, we saw Thanos do it with Wanda and the Vision, and we saw Doctor Strange do it with Wong and everything back in, in his movie. So the thought crossed my mind watching the movie. Why couldn't they just go back, get the time stone, bring the time stone to our future, our, our, our timeline, our present, and then just use the time stone and dial back our time to pre-events of the snap and fix it then? Because it's the time stone handles time differently than, time, than the quantum realm time jumping does. So I couldn't help but think that it's like why couldn't the time why couldn't they use the time stone to fix well, it? Well, maybe the time stone only works a certain way, but you add in the power stone and the reality stone, and suddenly what it can do amplifies by multiples. Uh, well, maybe, but Thanos is only using the time stone to to go back and undo Wanda's destru- destruction of the of the mind stone, and so I don't. Yeah, but that's just one instance of it being used. Yeah. Well, Doctor Strange, yeah, but Doctor Strange uses it the same way at the end of Doctor Strange. Yeah, yeah but he does it. But but why do you think he needs the time stone to do the snap? Because those people dust because they never oh. existed. Is what is is the idea? Okay, run that. I, I, you lost me somewhere. Are we talking Thanos here? Yeah, when Thanos snaps, and he needs all stones oh, yeah, to pull off the snap. So. Yeah. What is what is the time stone's role in that? Not turning back time, but affecting time in a different way. Oh, I'm not, I'm not talking about Thanos using it. I'm talking about why can't they just go instead of getting all the stones to redo the gauntlet to to un, to re to resnap and and course correct? Why can't they just? Why couldn't they theoretically gone back to just to get the time stone and then use the time stone to just turn back our time to five plus years ago before Thanos does the snap and 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 stop him then? Because it wouldn't have been as good of a movie. Yes. <laughs> and because Tony wanted to keep his daughter. That that is that is true. And that and that is, it's, and that again was part of, which is still. I mean, I get, I do get why he would do that. But it's still that is still the example of a kind of a selfish Tony Stark move as opposed to the self because. Yeah. So. 
But that, that that was that just thought popped into my head when I was watching the movie. It's like, okay, why not just you? Why? Because we know they get they give you an out. Why time jumping can't fix the problem? Why well, you can't go back and kill baby Thanos and just solve the problem? They tell you, give you whether you believe it or not. They give you an explanation for why that's not viable. But I didn't explain. We know the time stone does let you course correct without 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 creating a whole another timeline going forward. So, but that. Uh, speaking of Cap, I I think the easy the easiest answer to why Cap is goes back why seemingly on the surface Cap doing what he does goes against what Banner said because it change because it quote unquote looks like it changes the timeline unless you accept the fact that he was always that that was always part of the timeline we just never got to it yet he was always meant to go back in time that wasn't changing the timeline that's what that's what I feel because yes. in, in in Winter Soldier. Uh, when we see Peggy as an old woman, we we see her in photos with her kids. We never see her husband, and she the only mention we get of her husband in in a footage when he's at the Smithsonian is is Peggy saying something of that day Steve saved the man who yes. would one day become my husband. There's nothing concrete about who her husband eventually ends up being, and we know Peggy as the founder of Shield. If anybody could keep a secret, it'd be Peggy. And plus. In the 1970s, when they're time jumping, Peggy still has a picture of Steve on her desk, mm-hmm. and, and Peggy should be Peggy, you know, would be married by this point. So why would she still have a picture of Cap? I mean, you could make a case that if her, you know, if her husband never came to that place, then maybe she could. But yeah, I think I think the easiest explanation for that is simply put: this is what was always this. This is what always had happened. This was meant to have happened. It wasn't changing of the timeline. So this was the, this is just evidence of something that had happened before to begin with. That Steve was always meant to go back. He married Peggy. Old uh, that Steve Rogers existed all throughout the the forties, the late forties, the fifties, the sixties. However, whenever he jumped back, whether it was like forty five, forty eight, whenever that that Steve Rogers existed all throughout time. He just wasn't Captain America. And the and you know and Steve the and that you know, so the Steve that was still frozen in the ice was still frozen in the ice and there was a time when they coexisted, old Cap and and, and out of the ice Cap and plus since old Cap had since old Cap had the memories of when out of the ice Cap went to went, would go to visit Peggy he would also know when the hell to stay clear, so there would be no confrontation or conflict or hey what's so I think that's the easiest out to fit into the explanation for time travel that basically Peggy was always married to a to a time traveling Steve Rogers and that's why it doesn't it didn't change the timeline Cap was always meant to do this we just never got to the point in time when he when he did the jump um, hmm. so I think that's the easiest explanation for that I thought I, I think that was I, I think it was just funny with him with the suitcase and then just casually picking up the hammer that's that's sweet <laughs> like, like now it's like now it's like it's old news now you know and of course, there had to be a certain order he we turned these stones in because of the fact that uh, going to different locations, like the time, like you would think, that, you know, you would think the tesseract would probably have been the last one he had to return because that's the, that's the uh, space stone. Having the space stone lets you jump anywhere you want to jump. So you and we missed out on a hell of a conversation between Cap and Red Skull. See, people have talked about that, but I think it depends on the exact moment and how where he's putting the putting the stone because it's not like the red skull is ever physically around when the person wakes up and has the stone in their hand so if that's the moment he's coming back to 
or right before let's you know some somewhere right there after you know basically the, that speech was given or whatever maybe they don't encounter each other but yes it obviously it's one of those things i mean as some people have said that you could freaking make a whole movie just about everything that cap experiences just returning all the stones <laughs> between going to asgard and going i mean but yeah i thought it was so that was and, I, and that was and see that was yet another reason with thor going off going off with the guardians the only person who could return the hammer if you wanted to return the hammer, it had to be Cap because he was the only one who could wield it. So that so there there were some clever things that they did from a writing perspective that you know that I I really do appreciate. Uh, and the guts of having that five year jump, and we're going to see like what's going on with like Spider Man. Can we, can we assume that high school class and everybody in that class was had been people that had been snapped and brought back? Because obviously, based on years, these ki- these kids would either, would either be out of college or just about to be out of college in five years. So the only way they could be still in high school would be if basically this was a – they were all back in high school because they had been all snapped together. Hmm. So unless, again, I guess unless they screw up the timeline and make it sound like this was pre-snap, but I don't see how that's going to be plausible. But And, you, and again, it's, not, it's that would only be kicking the can down the road for so long. You're still going to have to adjust to the time you know, the time jump. You're going to have to do that in some – at some way, shape, or form. Eventually, you're going to have to adjust to the status quo. Of the, of the time jump. Um, so, let's see. And, uh, I don't know if I have anything else. I think uh, I'm, I'm, I'm looking done. At, I'm looking at my list. We did, we did the Returning of the Stones, Captain Marvel, Doctor Strange. Doctor Strange had cool. He wasn't in the movie for long, but what he but he made the mo- he ma- he made good use of of the time that it, or they made good use of the time he was there. I think that was. I think that was pretty effective. Uh, I like I liked the conversation between him and Tony when Tony was asking him, "Is like, is this our one? Is this our one chance?" Pretty much when he said, "Oh, if I tell you, then it, if I tell you, then it won't be." Uh, and and the fact that you know, right at the key moment when Tony's got to go get the Infinity Stones, that Doctor Strange is holding up that holding up his finger. One, this is our, this is the this is the time. This is our one shot. Uh, it was it, it was kind of. It, it's a neat trick. I'm not quite sure how he pulled it off, being able to get the get those stones to basically fly off the gauntlet into his pseudo gauntlet without anybody, without us or Thanos noticing it. Um, but it was it was effective. And of course, the I am Iron Man line after I am inevitable and the fake snap, and then the I am Iron Man, which of course, which is how we ended the first Iron Man movie and how we end his last line of dialogue in. Uh, his last his last live appearance as Tony Stark, barring time travel and taking a Tony from the past to bring him to the future for a story and and tons of other shit they could do that with the quantum realm tech existing, there are tons of possibilities that they of things they could do down the road to bring these to bring an active version of these characters so we could see them again if if we wanted to. Um, Hank's not going to let that happen. Probably not. Probably not, but don't, but they, but they, but the Avengers still have obviously the working tech because they were using that to send Steve back. So the, but the pen, you're right, the pen particles they're going to need, a, so they would need a certain amount of pen particles to be able to, to be able to do that. But but you also don't know, don't know the circumstance. If there is some kind of major league world crisis again, and somebody suggests, you know, we should, we need, we, you know, this would be a lot easier if we go back and we get we 
bring back Iron Man, we bring back Cap. Even though you can make a case, maybe with the Super Soldier formula in Cap, of, with a certain dosage of rays or something else, maybe they can make Cap young again or something like that. There's other ways, which also raises the specter of when the Russo said that Chris Evans wasn't done with that character. Yes, they could have been just alluding to the fact that maybe that old man Cap scene hadn't been filmed yet. But they also could be alluding to the fact that maybe he is going to come back down the road, but just not be Captain America anymore. That he may yeah. he may make cameos, but as Old Man Cap, as Old Man Steve Rogers, but not ca- really Captain America. So I, th- they certainly gave a nice out there. They certainly gave a nice out to be able to use him in a, in, a, in, a, in a different capacity. So I thought mm-hmm. that I thought that was a I thought that was a nice touch. Uh, I'm just trying to think if there was anything else on my list of other, before we talk about the box office, obviously. No, I think on my list, on my list, I think we we talked about all the main points. So from a box, obviously, box office perspective, this was a this was killer. This was a talk about this is like the event movie of event movies. Obviously, something will eventually. Do better than this, not just in raw money and pure and raw dollar amount, but as far as the enthusiasm for this, the fact that so many like AMC theaters, some of the AMC theaters were showing this movie like 24 hours, they were just all, they were just sticking showings in left and right. I think my, I think my theater had at least over the weekend, I think they had like friggin' 30 showings of this in 2D, not even counting the 3D showings, that on Friday and Saturday, I think they had friggin' 30 showings of this, which isn't easy for a three-hour movie. Uh, oh, speaking of which, did you uh, was there a big trailer package on your movie, or only a couple? Only a couple. Yeah, mine too. And I didn't know if that was universal. It may not be universal, but it was hard to, also hard for me to judge, because I thought last year they had a smaller trailer package on the fan event, I wasn't, and I wasn't sure if that was just because it was the fan event. But I'd be willing to bet... That is probably what most theater chains did to make to cut down on the length of the movie overall. When you have a three-hour movie, to try to only have like no more than make the running time 3:10 between you know normal theater chain propaganda things that are included before the movie and a couple of trailers. I think we had three trailers on ours. I think we had three trailers on ours, and that was it. I'm Star Wars: Dark Phoenix, and I'm trying I'm trying to remember what the other one was. Godzilla. Yeah, our, we didn't have Godzilla, but I'm trying to remember what it was. It's not really important, but there were there were there were, there were three. There were only three on ours. So, yeah. So this so, so the Avengers so Avengers Endgame ended up making three hundred and fifty-seven million hundred and fifteen thousand and seven dollars in its opening weekend. So basically, it essentially beat the previous opening weekend record which was Infinity War it basically beat it by 100 million dollars since Infinity War opened up to to for, to uh let's see if I can oh, get this i think it was 257 it, 257 almost 257.7 so it wasn't quite a uh, 100 million more but it was damn close so a lot of people thought this movie could get close to 300 but it became perfectly clear i think after after the Thursday night previews, when it did like sixty million dollars, and they were expecting another eighty million dollars in in additional revenue on Friday, since obviously the Thursday revenues count towards um, Friday's box office. So with this, what this movie really ended up doing, it did it did a hundred it did a hundred and fifty seven million dollars on Friday, almost one hundred fifty seven five on Friday. It made a little over one hundred nine million on Saturday. And 90 million 
on Saturday. Putting it in perspective, the amount of money that the amount of money that that means I want to get I don't I don't want to misspeak here, so I want to get I'm looking at the 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 biggest box office day on the opening weekend for Infinity War was 106 million. That's what it did. It did 106 million on its Friday. So the worst day of the weekend for Endgame was 90. So that was only 16 million dollars off, like like the 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 biggest day of Infinity War's opening weekend. So that was that was pretty that was pretty impressive. Now the the real question, and it's interesting, uh, you know, the rising tide lifts all boats kind of thing. The Captain Marvel actually ended up being the number two movie last week. It didn't make more money than the week before, but it only had like close to around 11% drop. So just the fact that it still was number two also indicates that probably Avengers had a little had a little coattails. Maybe some people that hadn't seen Captain Marvel had been putting it off, uh, went to go see it. Maybe even some people that couldn't get to see Infinity uh, Endgame on opening day or opening weekend said, ah, we haven't seen Captain Marvel yet, let's see it. But the fact that Captain Marvel has been out for almost two months now, that Captain Marvel could still be could move back up to the number two spot was impressive. So the real question about Endgame is whether how how it's going to hold. That's the real question because this thing's made like 1.2 billion dollars in a weekend. So the question that's so that really comes down to how much how much it drops at this point is really the because it could be number one for a while considering how much money it made. You know, it, it's probably what Godzilla's what that's the is that the 24th or is that Memorial Day weekend? Actually, uh, it is Memorial. Twenty fourth technically would be Memorial Day weekend, or is it the last weekend in May? Pretty sure it's the last weekend in May. Yeah, and, and Aladdin is the one before. So probably, probably Aladdin is going to be the one that is most likely to take this movie out as number one, unless this movie drops like a complete, complete rock. And even so, I mean, this movie could drop. Look how look when you make three hundred fifty seven million in your opening weekend. Even if you drop seventy percent, you're still going to be racking up. Buku bucks in your second week, so very impressed. So I, I I liked it. I was very impressed with it overall. I want to see it again. Infinity. I think Infinity War could have been better. We a lot of people had the I think had different expectations for what Infinity War were going to be. And I think that's also maybe true for Endgame. I thought there might have might have been a few. It, it didn't give me everything I wanted going in, uh, and but it gave me a lot of what I wanted, and it gave me most of what. Of what I of what I expected, so I I did like the fact that he limited the time jumping because of the limited amount of pen particles. I think that made sense. That was a smart that was a smart plan. Focusing on the battle of New York because there were three stones around that time, which is also a presumption. That first of all, an incorrect presumption that Doctor Strange is still master of the mystic arts in 2012, which clearly he wasn't, and the fact that the time stone is automatically always in New York, which of course it also wasn't all the time either uh so it was but luckily luckily the ancient mom was there doing her thing so (laughs) i was happy with it so i I, it was a satisfying ending i'm still nervous about what they're going to do going forward i was disappointed there were no real credits credit scenes the thank you stuff was nice that was in the auto you know the autographs and and everything it was nice but I wish there was something. I wish they had given us something. So I think, and I know, technically speaking, Spider-Man: Far From Home was supposed to be the end of this phase, not Endgame. But 
I still wish that they had given us something, just because they always give us something. So it's, it's interest, confusing times, as Banner said, because we don't know what's coming next, and they have some big shoes to fill. They really do. I mean, I don't know if, you know, the Master of, Master of Kung Fu, I, th- I don't really think it's going to be pumping people's nads. I mean, it might be a good movie, and people might like the character, but Master of Kung Fu ain't going to be open to $200 million. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, and the more and even the even the Eternals, I don't know. Maybe they'll pave the way for the Eternals. Maybe in Guardian in Guardians. Actually, the Eternals might come out before Guardians. We don't because Guardians is not supposed to be for what 2020 at least or 2021 before they start working on that. Because uh, once probably get, Gun gets done with Suicide Squad, that's probably what he'll be going on to next. So we really don't know, and that's kind of the annoying thing too that it probably until Spider. Maybe not until Spider-Man comes out. Are we even going to get official announcements of what the next, all the movies for next year are going to be, and their time frame? So it is really up in the air. It'll be, I, I, it's, it's a challenge. It, I mean, obviously, especially if they really are going to kick the can down the road for the Fantastic Four and the X-Men, I could see why they want to do it for for the X-Men a little bit to to let it breathe a little bit. Fantastic Four, I think there would be an audience for that to do it right. Plus, you can bring Doctor Doom in, and do and, and you know you have some real potential big, big Earth, not you know cosmic baddies. Even though you obviously you'd have Galactus back on the table, but you do have but you have Doctor Doom as a big time Earth baddie you can use. You obviously have you're gonna you're gonna have Magneto to play around with down the road. If they re-up the deal with Sony, which everything indicates that that they probably will, since Sony wants to do it and Marvel wants to do it, and it's in their both best interest to do it, so I'm sure it will happen. Eventually, you would think guys like Norman Osborn and things like that would come into play. Could, that could be big bads for. for so I'm I'm intru- It's I'm worried though because from an enthusiasm point of view, you know, so many of the characters that you were invested in, which is why they're probably gonna, which is why they're smart enough to keep some a lot of these characters we already know that they're gonna continue. You know, you're gonna get Black Panther too, you're gonna get Doctor Strange. Uh, I like to see Ant Man and the Hulk actually. After watching these this movie, I think Ant Man and the Hulk would be a cool team up, not just from the pure size perspective but i i think since we know we're not going to get a solo hulk movie anytime soon because of the universal having the distribution rights to that the hulk is probably always going to play being a team or a, a team up movie so i would like to see that i think he would be a every kind of be a natural i guess you could see the hulk too because of him working with shuri right black mm-hmm. panther and and so you could but i think i guess them i think Oh, well, one last one last thing. Almost zoned out. Let's go back at our checklist about who we said was going to live and who, who we said was going to die. Uh, I think I did slightly better than you on this, but we not, but we did we we did have some glaring mistakes. Uh, we both said Cap was going to die. We got that wrong. We both said Thor was going to live. We got that right. Iron Man, I had an asterisk on mine, but I said die, so I at least get a half a point for that. You said lo- you said live. Ant-Man live, yes. Hulk live, we got that. Both got those right. We both said both said Hawkeye dead, we got that wrong. I said War Machine live, and you said he dies, so I get that one right. We both said Black Widow live, so we both got that wrong. Uh, we both said Nebula died, we got that one wrong. Rocket lived, we got that both right. Loki- technically, technically, a Nebula died. That is true. That is true. But so you can get half a point for that. But uh, but Nebula Prime is alive. Same thing technically with Loki. I said dead. You said live. You can make a 
you can make it like an asterisk upon an asterisk upon an asterisk that maybe alternate timeline Loki survived. But again, there's no way to prove that he survived. He just because that wasn't the time he was supposed to die anyway. So we don't know what future and that timeline. We don't know what happened, but our Loki remains dead. Uh, Gamora, here's another here's another one. Uh, technically, I'm wrong because I said Gamora lives and, and you said dies. And technically, Gamora Prime is dead, but a Gamora is still alive. Uh, Scarlet Witch, we both said live. We both said the Vision was going to be back. We got that wrong. Black Panther, uh, Black Panther, Falcon, Bucky, Shuri, uh, Doctor Strange, we all said live, so we got all those right. So, not so bad, but they did throw us some curveballs because it would make it made it seemed to make perfect sense for Nebula to die, considering her relationship with Thanos. It would seem like what was her what would her purpose be to survive? I guess we're gonna find out. <laughs> Uh, not that I'm going. Not we're going to go into spoilers or anything. But did you watch Game of Thrones yesterday? I did not. Oh, okay. All right. Just, just was, just was curious. And yes, we're recording this the Monday after, uh, after Game of Thrones and the Monday after Infinity War. Excuse me, Endgame opened. So that's the reason why it was a extremely topical question. Um, but as so, I don't know. I think. I look forward to the commentary track, though. That'll be fun. <laughs> All right. Uh, anything else? Anything else? I don't know if there's. I don't know if there's anything else. But it was. It was a cool. It was a cool movie to be. Was your theater busy? Yeah. For eight a.m. Yeah, yeah, for sure. That's that's imp- that's pretty impressive. I got to. Uh, I got to my fan event. The, 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 it was a five o'clock fan event. I knew the theater from talking to my friend who's the manager there. I knew the movie before it was getting out around 2.30, but he didn't know what time he was letting in. But I said, I'm going to get there around 3 just in case they're lining people up. I, I want to make sure I get my, the seats that I like. So by the time I got there, which was like probably by 5 after 3, I was getting my ticket ripped. They had already let people in, but luckily there were only like five or six people that went in, and they were not. But that theater, that theater was packed. And every I mean, like I said, it's it's cool. This is even though going to see movies obviously in with people can be really annoying, <laughs> depending sometimes. It's like it can be annoying the same way watching trailer reactions can be annoying, but people just f and talk through everything instead of watching it and then re- and reacting more facially at first, but not talking over the thing you're watching because you're inevitably going to miss things when you're talking when you haven't seen it before. Yeah, so. But the same way it can be annoying, there are some things. It's some things that are cool to be seen in an environment, and I and I like seeing it in the environment because, and this is one of the interesting things regarding spoilers. Like maybe like a day or two before this movie came out, I saw there was actually a video that went into great detail about. Now they didn't see they, it wasn't their spoilers. They basically had a source and they were reporting what the source had said, so they couldn't confirm or deny this was true. And much like these spoilers for Last Jedi, when I first heard them, I said, oh, this can't be true. It sounds like BS until I think Grace Randolph did her spoiler thing about Last Jedi, and it's like, wow, they're all true. (laughs) But I never got confirmation on this. But I would have to say every single thing, plot point they talked about in that video was absolutely correct. Everything from Captain Marvel rescuing Tony to the fact that – and I I I figured as soon as – Thanos, Thanos confirmed that he had destroyed the Infinity Stones and Thor cut off his head and it was a five-year jump. And as soon as we got to that point, I'm going, okay, I bet you everything that they said in this movie, including the dueling nebulas and everything else, was all going to be true. So 
I like to see people's reaction to stuff. So it's kind of cool. Like when they were building towards that, that the moment when Cap was going to get the hammer. Just seeing people go batshit crazy over that. So just like if you watch, and you probably have done this, uh, watching some of the YouTube videos of watching uh, fans react to Thor arriving in Wakanda. Like a different, mm-hmm. like throughout theaters throughout the world, watching people react to that, watching, watching Cap, you know, we, you know, Thor almost get killed, and then Mjolnir hitting him in the head and going and go flying off to Cap. What? And there already are some reactions to that, some audio, some some video, but there's more. That's going to be really cool to see a lot of those reactions. Then of course the Tony with the glove and doing the snap. That that's going to be cool to see, just like it's cool to experience in the theater. People who don't know what's coming and who haven't seen it before, who really are, who are legitimately surprised by that. That's what makes the movie-going experience cool. As much as it's more comfortable to watch it at home, there is something that about the movie-going experience which just isn't the same when you're not there on opening day with a big crowd that's enthusiastic for the for the property. So. That's all I have to say about that. All right, cool. You want to tell people how to reach us? Lanterncast at gmail.com. The website is lanterncast.com. Uh, you can use hashtag GLCast to, to find us on Facebook and Twitter. iTunes and Stitcher, we are on both, so please leave us a positive review on whichever platform you listen to us on. And last but not least, our voicemail is 708Lantern. Let us know what you think. Let us know what you think of Endgame. Did it meet your expectations? Did it not? Uh... Questions that we talked about that you would think that maybe we missed the answer to or you have a different answer to or questions that maybe we forgot to bring up that you were curious about getting more answers to or just what we think about. Feel free, and we don't have, we have no idea what we're doing next week. Correct? <laughs> yeah. Um, so uh, when uh, – as this episode comes out – JLMA is already underway. Uh, don't forget to go check out the podcast of Oa, which on April 30th has re- already released their uh, episode covering Blackest Night number zero and number 43. Um, that released on, like I said, uh, uh, it's Tuesday, April 30th um, in the morning. So you, this episode will release on Friday, May 3rd. Uh, and uh, following this episode, the next ed- uh, entry into the JLMA event will be Chris and Reggie's Cosmic Treadmill over on the 5th, which is a Sunday, uh, cover uh, Single D Mile, which uh, is going to be covering Blackest Night number one. And, uh, of Very course, nice. So, uh, of course, keep up with uh, all the Blackest Night uh, coverage happening for JLMA throughout the month of May. So, uh, and our coverage of that will happen on the last day of uh, the last day of May, which would be coincidentally enough a Friday, which is when we usually release episodes anyways. That is true. That'll be that'll be perfect. Obviously, we probably won't wait till the very end to record that, just in case. <laughs> uh, and just because I didn't mention it in the promos, I will say this for you folks uh, at home listening. Podcast of O will be covering Blackest Night number 0 and number 43. Chris and Reggie's Cosmic Treadmill is up next with Blackest Night number 1. The Idlehead of Diablo is up with Blackest Night number 2 and Green Lantern number 44 after that, followed by the Fire and Water podcast with Blackest Night number 3. The Head Speaks podcast follows them with Blackest Night number 4, Coffee and Comics podcast with Blackest Night number 5. Longbox Crusade with Blackest Night number 6. Us with Lantern uh, with the Lantern cast doing uh, Blackest Night seven eight and Green Lantern fifty two, as well as other participants. Waiting for Doom will be covering Doom Patrol four and five. 
Task Force X will be covering Suicide Squad 67 and Secret Six number 17 and 18. Uh, Justice's First Dawn, which is at, at this particular moment sort of a, eh, maybe, I, we believe so. Uh, Justice League number 38 through number 40. Coffee and Comics podcast will be covering Adventure Comics number 4 through 7, as well as Untold Tales of the Blackest Night number 1. Starman Manhunter Adventure Hour covering Starman number 81. The Dr. DC podcast covering Booster Gold number 26 and 27. And the Birds of Prey podcast will be covering the JSA miniseries number 1 through 3. Deep breath, Chad. Deep breath. (laughs) All right, guys. We'll talk to you later. Good night, everybody. Good night.